this is Laren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Margie Bruner, the creator of Glory Kitchen, a purveyor of nut and spice mixes, as well as gift items for the food lovers in your life. Margie's creative background in design plays a role in every aspect of her business, from product design to the photography and recipes she shares on the Glory Kitchen website. Margie also has nearly 30 years of expertise as an interior designer and home builder with a passion for kitchen design. I am so excited to welcome Margie to the podcast. Hey, Margie. Hi, nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. Um, I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you remember cooking and about how old were you? Oh my gosh. Um, You know, I was raised in a family of four girls. And at one point, my mother had us, I think it was when we were in high school, had us each assigned on a day. Um, so we all had to take a day and do the cooking and cleaning. So I cooked not a lot, but a lot of the same family things that we were used to having in a week. So I think probably one of the dishes that I loved that I cooked for our family, it was called chicken Jerusalem. And it was a chicken dish with a wine, a butter wine sauce, and it had, mushrooms and scallions and artichoke hearts. And it was really quite simple. And it was served over egg noodles. And I, to this day, it reminds me of my childhood, but I still love it. And I cooked it for my children when they were growing up. So maybe that, but um, I cooked at a young age and I love to cook. So, and it just continued on. That sounds so delicious and very sophisticated for a young person. (laughs) Well, maybe I'm sure my mother found it in a cookbook and probably said, here, make this. But, um, you know, we had our usual things. We loved, we did a ham fried rice and we did a, we just had certain things that we ate and we all loved. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was one that I, I still to this day think about and just love, love everything about it. That sounds like a delicious recipe. And I think your mother was super smart to assign each kid a day. <laughs> I tried to do that and I only have two. I tried to do that. It lasted about maybe a month. <laughs> well, I think yours are younger than mine, but I will tell you one thing. Um, I had boys, two boys. And although I never had them doing that, um, they did help me in the kitchen a little bit and they saw me cooking. And now as adults, they're both great cooks. And I think just the fact that you were making there, you're making your kids delicious meals. Will you will just be so surprised to see how your kids have such a good food palate? I mean, they're better than me in so many things in recognizing tastes and ingredients, and they're good. And I'm proud to see them develop that. And I think it's just because they grew up watching me cook. Yeah, I hope so. I think it's gratifying to see, you know, when they start cooking for themselves and what they end up making and what they remember (laughs) from from all the years. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what you did before you founded Glory Kitchen. Oh, gosh. uh, You won't want to hear the whole story, but I've kind of just had a a whole vast of things that I've done. I started out before I got married, my first job out of college, I was a finance business major and I was a stockbroker. So I was in the finance business and did that until I got married. And then I had children and I fully intended to go back to work. But once I had my first son, 
just couldn't do it. So I ended up carrying my license for several years and then realized I don't think I'll ever go back into that business. So I became a mom and I actually um, started a clothing line of baby clothes and I'm a creative. So I love to create and I'm always doing something. I love to garden. I love architecture. I love cooking. I, you know, so I just love to create. So I did that for a while. Um, And then I went back to school while my kids were in like middle school, high school and got an interior design degree. So I had been doing lots of remodels and interior design throughout all those years, but I just felt like I needed to be credentialed and Mm -hmm. learn the skills of drafting and, and all those little things that make an interior designer just a step above someone that's just decorating, which some of those, you know, there's a lot of talent out there. Um, but anyway, so I got my interior design degree and then we moved to, I I raised my family in Texas, in Dallas, and we moved to North Carolina when my kids went to college because my husband is a real estate developer and I joined him in work there. Um, and I was kind of an interior designer, but also ran all the office and, it was a lifestyle shopping center. So I started, I took over signage for our shopping center, landscaping. Um, I helped, we had 10 restaurants. So I helped with the interior design of the restaurants and the patio surfaces and all that kind of stuff. So I became involved in commercial real estate and then I took over the leasing of the spaces. So we did that Um, for 10 years, we lived in Charlotte. And then we had an opportunity to sell the property. So we have since moved back to Dallas, which was where we raised our family. And our kids have moved back in this direction. But while I was in Charlotte, I really got the bug. I've always cooked and I've always loved cooking. Um, And I got the bug about restaurants because I was so involved with restaurants. Um, I knew a lot of chefs in Charlotte and um, I did all the leasing. So I met a lot of the top restaurateurs in the Charlotte area and really loved the food business. So um, I started Glory Kitchen while I was living in Charlotte and I just found a Duca recipe and created it with hazelnuts and spices, whole spices, and started putting it on like avocado toast and things like that. And I thought it was the best thing. And it was, it's a pungent flavor that adds a pop to so many things. And I found myself putting it on everything. So I just started making these nut mixes and decided to do a flavor profile for different types of food. So I did an Italian blend, um, a Mexican blend, Asian, um, and each one has different ingredients corresponding with that region and the foods. So then I tested it with my restaurant chefs, um, and they gave you know they gave me such encouraging um, feedback on it. So I just I delved into the developing of the brand and logo and packaging and. I went to, in your neck of the woods, the Fancy Food Show in San yes, Francisco. in January. And I had never been. Have you been several No. Times? Every year I'm like, oh, this is the year I'll go. And then something happens and I just don't end up going. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I hear it it's huge. Something you must go to. Um, it was an amazing thing. And I'm so glad I did it before I started my business. I knew I wanted to do a food. 
and I wasn't sure what it should be. So I went to the food show by myself. I had a friend that lived in San Francisco, so I stayed with her and just perused the aisles and introduced myself to different food purveyors. And I learned a lot. I actually took some classes there. The the, um, fancy food show offers, and it's a funny name, but they hold it twice a year, um, one in New York City in the summertime in July and one in San Francisco. And it's as I understand, it's always in those cities. Um, However, I took some classes as a new food entrepreneur and learned a lot about packaging and weights and shipping and breakage of glass jars, you know, large pasta jars. And so I took all of that information with me and perused the aisles thinking, what is not overdone. And you're talking about 15,000 products. I mean, it's just overload thousands and thousands of fabulous products and creative. So I came back and just built on this whole Duca thing um, and felt like it being a dry product. It had a nice shelf life. It was shippable, um, different things. And, And that's how I took off with Glory Kitchen. And it's really stayed very simple with these nut spices Uh, But I personally had such a passion for them and I love them. Even to this day, I have either the Cairo or the Mumbai blend on my eggs in the morning. I put the San Miguel on my popcorn. So I personally love these and my kids are always uh, buying them and, you know, sending them to their friends. And so the fact that we continue to want them in our lives just keeps me going. So that's how it all got started. And and then it gave me a vehicle to be able to photograph food and and delve into new recipes and all of that. So it's been a lot of fun. It's amazing how your first taste of dukkha can do that. And I actually do remember the very first time I had a dukkha blend. It, It was actually in Hawaii and the chef there did his spin with macadamia nuts. Um, oh, neat. And I do remember that aha moment, you know, that light bulb. I'm like, oh my God, this is delicious. And this would go well with everything. I remember recreating it at home too. So I kind of get how excited you probably must have felt. But what I love is that you took a spin, you know, for all the different flavor profiles and, um, you know, all the different places around the world. So I think that's super, super cool. It was fun. And, and, you know, some of those ingredients in Duca are ingredients I was not familiar with um, and probably would not have used independently on their own on a food. But um, like coriander, I had never gotten whole coriander and cracked it, but it, it's got this amazing lemony flight and smell to it. And it's got this beautiful aroma. And once you can, I crack my own, I try to start with whole seeds and um, then I actually grind them myself and then mix them because I don't like them completely into a powder. So if usually if you're buying them, they're either completely ground into a powder or it's the whole nut or the whole berry, the dried berry. So I crack them to the level where you still get a little bit of toothiness to it, a little bite of the spice, but it's not like a whole peppercorn or something like that. So I just, there were ingredients that I wasn't familiar with that I fell in love with. And I've really learned a lot about spices and um, what they smell like, what they do for a food. And it's opened up my my horizons on how I use 
spices for foods certainly gave me a whole new appreciation for Indian food, which I wasn't that familiar with, but I love Indian food now. And I love the flavors, the Indian flavors, and they're quite pungent and unique. At least they were very unique to me. So it's really opened up a world of um, spices and what it can do to a very simple food. How did you research, let's say your Mumbai spice, for example, like how did you um, develop that? Well, each one, um, it was a lot of research on the internet. I mean, really just looking up recipes and um, what are the prevalent spices in, um, you know, in wherever the region I was talking about, like for the Mexican one, I um I knew Mexican because that I actually have a background. I'm Hispanic and back in my family. So, and, and living in Texas, you know, Mexican food. So I knew a lot of those spices, but trying different ones, researching where, what regions, you know, what is prevalent in that area. And then I actually would go out and buy those spices and try them out and put them on foods. And some of them, um, you know, here's an interesting story. For example, the Provence, which is our French blend. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see typically herbs de Provence, um, I would Google the recipes of what makes up, you know, you see it a lot in specialty food stores. And most of them have lavender ingredient is an ingredient in there. And as I went and bought each individual herb or spice, um, I realized that I wasn't personally a lover of lavender on food. Mm-hmm. And to me, it tasted like soap. <laughs> and I just didn't see it as something that I felt like I wanted to put in there. And the more I researched, I read that in France, well, Americans who have traveled to France and they go to the south of France and they see fields and fields of these beautiful blue lavender fields blooming. And it is a very typical thing if you think of when you're in Provence. So it became an American ingredient. And I don't know if this is 100% true, but I did read that it was Americans that created herbs to Provence. And they put lavender as an ingredient because that is what you think of when you think of South of France. So I purposely left the lavender out of mine and kind of stuck with the basic basil, you know, some of some of the other ingredients that were and mostly herbs, and then paired that with chopped cashew nuts and then put some onion um, in it and a little bit of salt, but mix that. And it became my recipe now that I really use a teaspoon of that in every vinaigrette. I do not make a, a vinaigrette, especially French vinaigrette, without a spoonful of my Provence. So I just researched a lot and then tried and really used my own kitchen as a a little test market. Wow. So interesting about the lavender. I think that could be a whole other episode on its own, you know, the history of herbes de Provence. (laughs) And again, you know, it's in soaps and and sachets and and it's a lovely smell, but I just didn't find it palatable um, as a food for me personally. So I left it out in my Provence. So you don't see any lavender. It looks pretty, but um, I, you know, it's, it has sold. It's one of my top sellers. So it's sold regardless whether it has lavender or not. Well, clearly it's delicious. So (laughs) where did you, uh, or where do you source your spices? Um, that 
it's been trick has been tricky. So I use wholesalers. Um, it was really important to me that I looked for ingredients that didn't have anything else that were pure. And, um, you know, most of most spices come from overseas and most of them are irradiated. And a lot of, I've read a lot, of, there's a lot of controversy that you lose with irradi irradiation when they come over to kill bacteria. A lot of times it's required as an import mm -hmm. um, to ir irradiate, to be able to bring them into this country. Um, so it was, it, it, you know, I just really looked, I wanted pure ingredients. For example, my Umbria blend has sun-dried tomatoes. And a lot of times sun-dried tomatoes have a lot of different preservatives in them and coloring um, to keep them red. So I was adamant that I really wanted a pure product. So I get, um, they are salt preserved. And when I get my tomatoes, I actually break them up myself, my sun-dried tomatoes and um, grind them down. So I go through a drying process where they dry a little bit more. Um, because sometimes they're soft and a little bit pliable and chewy. So I actually go through a process where we dry them and then I break them down because I don't want them as a powder. I like just a little bit of, of, of um, texture to them. So um, those are, are dry, are preserved with salt and that's it. So, so on that one, I actually pull back the salt because I don't like a lot of, and I use sea salt. So I just different. I use wholesalers and we buy in bulk and they, you know, I, I use different sources, but that, that was tricky to find the right sources. I can imagine. And then are you like, are you literally creating them out at your home? Do you have like a facility? Like, how does this work? Do you have a factory? <laughs> how, how has production scaled for you? That's a good question because, um, you know, as a, as a food, starting out in the food business, you wear a lot of hats. I mean, you are especially, I mean, you can't afford to hire teams for every little thing. You don't have any income yet. Mm -hmm. So I really had to create my own packaging and my, I did my own labels at first. Now I, I have third party people that help me, but, um, um, I started out by renting, and this is when we were in North Carolina in Charlotte. I found a wonderful food kitchen um, and they leased space out. So I would lease, I had um, people that worked for me that worked in restaurants and they would work on the weekend. So we would do production um, on Saturdays, Sundays and evenings when I could lease the, the space. Um, and then, you know, I had to have it inspected by the food inspector of North Carolina. So you go through all that process, but it helped that I was in a food processing um, plant. Um, and, and then they had everything there that I would need for cleaning properly and equipment. And so we would chop all of our own ingredients and I would just haul it all in. And then I leased a space there. And that is where I actually individually packaged and um, would store everything and all my shipping equipment. So I worked out of that space. Then fast forward, and that's, we were in a lot of stores in Charlotte. Fast forward, um, when we moved here, um, the business came with me to Texas, but I was able, my husband and I actually built a house and I built 
a section that became the Glory Kitchen office. And so I have a big room now and it's got its own little garden, but um, that's where I produce. That's where I have everything. And I'm on a much smaller scale now because um, I have another business that I'm also running. And um, so I'm balancing both, but I'm really selling online and in a couple of stores, but mostly just online sales now, instead of doing lots of specialty food stores. Much more manageable. Okay. So I'm assuming that what you're balancing is your design career. Am I right? Yes. Yes. That kind of started up when I moved here and, um, you know, the housing market has been so crazy busy. I know you in San Francisco probably see it too. Mm -hmm. So, um, it just has kept me busy. And I, you know, I, I always like to keep my, my self going. So, um, it's really, it's been busy. It's been successful. It's been a lot of fun. So yes, I am actually, um, I do re- with my interior design business and and building homes. I've started to build houses from the ground up and do remodels. So I'm doing that um, primarily. I think that's taking the majority of my time. I really feel like Glory Kitchen is in a rhythm, and um, because I'm creating smaller batches, I can handle that here in house, and I do it all myself. So um, I don't have a staff that helps me with Glory Kitchen. So as soon as I'm running low. I will up my batch and I do like 150 units at one time. So it's a lot more manageable than what I used to do. But yes, I am busy building homes as well. Wow. Okay. So we need to talk about that for a little bit. Um, You and I talked a little bit offline, but you also have this passion for kitchen design and making sure that it's functional. And this is something that I'm kind of obsessed with right now, just because, you know, after writing and doing all kinds of things in my own kitchen, I feel like I've, let's say, outgrown it. <laughs> and so there are, you know, times when I want to remodel and then times when I just want to move and not have to deal with a remodel. So I'm just curious, um, your thoughts on kitchen styles, first of all, because I feel like design changes so quickly, what's in vogue changes so quickly, you know, Right now, everyone's got the white cabinets, but then, you know, maybe in a couple of years, no one's going to want that. So what are your thoughts on keeping a kitchen design fresh and classic so that it doesn't go out of style in five years, for example? Right. I think that's a really good point, Liren. I think that first and foremost, you have to think about your own style and what you love. And are you a color person? Um, You know, do you love all the little bells and whistles? Um, Yeah, I I do think that classic, clean classic colors are the the most lasting. Um, Yes, white kitchens, sleek white kitchens were popular, but now I'm really seeing movement into color Mm -hmm. and painting islands, you know, navy blue and um, bright colors on cabinets and, you know, backsplashes, pretty much I'm still seeing a lot of neutral subways. And I, I think it's your own personal design. I, I, it just depends on on what you love. But I do think keeping it classic, I do think countertops need to be clean because countertops are expensive. And to change them out, um, it can be a pricey, a pricey thing to do. So I think that if you keep your countertops 
I love natural stone, but mm -hmm. granite now, there's some beautiful granites that look like natural stone. So I'm a big believer in um, the houses that I do personally. I always put neutral countertops. I'll do like a, a splat. I, I love to do a marble island a marble countertop on the island and give that your pizzazz and do a beautiful piece of stone that you've selected. And then I keep the side countertops neutral. And I, I don't like pure white, but I love just a natural kind of an eggshell color that looks like natural stone. And I think it goes beautifully with marble and marble never goes out of style. Um, it's been classic in Europe forever, and you will go to these beautiful old homes that are hundreds of years old, and they have beautiful marble, you know, that's been honed and, and loved on for years, and they still look gorgeous. So I think if you stay with the classic basics, you can never go wrong. Just don't go trendy. Unless you love color and you're always going to love red, I don't think I would paint my cabinets all yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you can afford to renovate your kitchen every so often. True. True. <laughs> you know, I think neutral colors, I think grays have seen there. There's a lot of gray. Um, I'm starting to see people moving a little bit out of grays and, and maybe warmer tones. I'm seeing some, some of the natural woods coming back with stone mm -hmm. countertops, which I think is nice. Maybe not the dark mahogany that we saw years ago. Now I'm seeing a lot of light woods, a lot of white oaks, which just have like a clear coat and don't have a lot of stain on them. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of warms the surface. And I think those are timeless too. When you do something very neutral, um, just stay away from the, the trends that people seem to all want to jump on. Stay true to your own aesthetic. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because, you know, I, you know, I feel like I've gone through a couple of renovations and then, you know, some new construction as well. And I, I'll be in love with the, you know, the space for a couple of years. And then next thing you know, you're like, oh, those countertops are so outdated or <laughs> the cabinets mm -hmm. look old all of a sudden. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a tricky, tricky thing. But I guess yeah. that keeps you busy because everyone's always wanting to remodel. So that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I tell you, if you put a marble countertop on your island, I bet you years down the road, you wouldn't look at that and go, that's dated and old. Um, you know, I do think if you stick with the classics, you're going to, you're going to still love them years down the road. That's so true. And then what about, okay, so you've got beautiful design, but function is also important. I've seen some really beautifully designed kitchens, but then the way it's laid out, clearly whoever designed it was never a cook. So what are your thoughts on making something functional as well as beautiful? That is so important. And it's funny because um, some of the most beautiful kitchens that just sparkle and you know aesthetically look great, if you really look at them and you're a cook, um, they do not function well. But a lot of times you'll see these kitchens and there's not a cook in the house. So, That's you know, so it's, true. Just, it's really just kind of a trophy. Um, mm -hmm. And that's fine if that's what you want. But if you are a real cook, I am, I love designing a kitchen that really cooks and I'm, um, almost neurotic about getting it right and getting things that work. Um, I love, I mean, I feel like I can go in and, and there are certain things in a kitchen now that I just, you know, I have to have a, a 
I do not have to have the most amazing cooktop that, you know, the BTUs are important, but, you know, with the griddle and the uh, eight burners, and I don't think a cook needs that many burners. Um, so what I did in my own personal kitchen, and it may not be, it really wouldn't be what a builder would do for like a spec house for just selling on the market, um, because those sometimes tend to be more of a show house. But there were certain things in my own personal kitchen that were so important to me that I don't think you'd probably see in most kitchens. But for example, um, induction, um, you know, in big cities in like New York City where they're stacked or in San Francisco, you see a lot of induction because you can't vent the gas. Mm -hmm. um, and so they use a lot of induction, but there's a real place for an induction burner. So I had got, I actually put in an induction unit because I make a lot of soups and, uh, or if you're boiling water for pasta, if you've ever tried an induction burner, you can put a pot on there and stick it on the high. And in three minutes, you've got a rolling boil. Um, or you can also, sometimes I'll make bone broth if I've roasted a chicken and I save the bones, or a lot of times I'll put my bones in the freezer and then pull them all out. And all my little veggie collection that I've had, that's been, most people would throw away. I'll just stick them in a Ziploc in the freezer um, and then start a large pot and do bone broth. And I like it to cook overnight um, at a very low rate. Well, if you have a gas burner, that's, <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go to sleep and the, and the, the uh, pilot goes out, then um, you may wake up to a lot of gas smell, but you can use that induction and leave it on you know, a low setting all night long and it doesn't boil. It just keeps it leaching the bone, the, the nutrients from the bones of your carcass. So um, it's great for making soups. So I love that. I do have to have a gas burner, but I, I have a four top and I put a griddle on mine. Um, but I think the main things are the induction and a couple of, of gas, good gas burners. Um, you know, certain other things, um, trying to think what I love. I love the new, you'll see the ovens now. There are some brands that are making French doors. I don't know if you've mm. noticed that. I've, I've seen them in more commercial kitchens, but... No. Uh, but um, Well, restaurants yeah. have them, and right. I hadn't seen them in a home kitchen. Um, but now um, I, I have one, and I just love it. And it is made for the home. Um, but there are certain brands now making... There's one that's a side door that you can open from the side. But I love it because you can actually walk very close. Now, you have to be careful because you're getting really close. But if you think about a regular oven, it opens towards you. And if you're trying to reach a heavy pan, um, like a casserole, you're reaching over a hot oven trying to get in there. So this allows you to get up close and really get a good grip and you can pull yourself up. They function really well. So um, I did a French door oven, which I do love. That makes then, complete sense. Because especially like, like if you have to have, let's say, a water bath, um, in your pan, typically what I do is I have to open the oven, pull the thing out, then pour the water in because otherwise it's too precarious trying to like carry that water bath filled container into the oven when you're reaching and it's heavy. And 
So that makes complete sense. Perfect example. Because, you know, usually you'll pour, I pour in my water bath, I'll open the door and pour it in from the oven. Well, if you've got a French door, you can walk right up close to it and pour. So that's something, if you're a real cook, I think that's a great thing to have. And then certain little things, like I love the trays over your oven. I always place my oven right at my own eye level. Um, so that I can stand up there and grab things out of the oven, right at, you know, chest level, eye level. I can read the knobs, little nuances like that, that a designer can think of um, and a cook. So the combination, you know, thinking about those things, also putting yourself in, you know, try to imagine yourself working in a kitchen. Um, I actually did a countertop off the side of my island that is pure butcher block. And I chop all my vegetables on it and I've got the entire surface to chop on. Um, which is, is that hard to keep clean though? I've always wondered. How Not at all. Not at all. So what I do is I've had one before in another house is you just make sure you do a little soapy water clean after just like you would any cutting board after you use it. Um, and then maybe once every six months, I will get mineral oil and 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 put it on there. You can you can sand it a little bit, but I never do. And you just chop right on it, and you'd be amazed how hard. Um, I think it's a maple surface that makes a cutting board, but um, it's a hard surface. It doesn't it doesn't really gouge or anything. So I love having that. I also love having a um, pull out trash can that comes out right in your chopping chopping surface. So I put it to my right side and as I chop, you know, I'm chopping onions and I've got the skins and everything and you just brush it right into the trash bucket. So little things like that, um, that really make a difference in your cooking. Um, One other thing I love now is um, on my refrigerator freezer, I got a, they make towers now where the entire unit is all freezer or all um, refrigerator. So instead of having your refrigerator on top and the the freezer on the bottom or a side by side, these are larger units um, that they call them towers. And mine is actually a Liebherr. Sub-Zero makes them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a large freezer tower. I think it's a 32 inch. Um, oh, wow. So it's almost like a standalone uh-huh. freezer. Right. And it's in my, it's in my, my kitchen. It's not in my garage. And I, when I, as I said, I make soups, I will make, you know, like I made during summer, I harvested, not harvested, but during the corn season, I bought a lot of corn and made a wonderful corn chowder with shrimp. Um, and froze it so we could have it in the winter. So I will do and label my my freezer, and I have a whole lineup of soups that I do. And you know, I did carrots, cream of carrot soup in the summertime, and tomato basil soup. And then I've got them in the winter time. So I do, I freeze nuts. I freeze so many things. Um, mm-hmm. I made a cake the other day and had leftover batter. So I put the batter in. I made a little mini cake. And it freezes beautifully. Put Just it in the butter. Well, no, I actually baked oh, the so cake baked in a I was little say, tiny like bunch pan. Okay. <laughs> no, I thought it was a white cake, and I thought, wouldn't that yeah. be great with fresh strawberries one day? Um, and it's so nice to have things in your freezer ready to pull out. And there's certain things that really freeze nicely. Mm-hmm. So um, I use that 
freezer a lot. And I love having that as well. So lots of little things like that. I think your kitchen is the dream kitchen. I'm ready to move in if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, or have you designed one for me? Because I I really feel like there are certain things that would be much more functional. I mean, just the simple garbage thing. Because I have a pull-out one, but it's not where I actually do all my chopping and stuff. So I, what I usually do is I just pull the garbage out and just pop it right next to me. That way it's much faster. Um, and I think the and other that thing, works. Yeah, it totally works. And it's fine. It's, and a bowl too. Remember Rachel yeah. Ray used yeah. to have a little trash bowl. I I've done that. And when I'm at someone else's house, that works great too. So there yeah. are other things that work. Totally. I mean, well. I just, I have the compost bowl like on the counter all the time and we just do that. But I think my dream thing would be to have two dishwashers in my kitchen because I feel like I'm constantly, constantly dealing with dirty dishes. So uh -huh. <laughs> Okay. That's funny. That's funny. I, I could talk about kitchens all day long. I would love to know if we could just scale back. If we're, if someone who is just starting out with cooking was listening, what are the basic spices that they should have? Let's just say your top five that they should have in their cabinet. Well, the number one thing is a good salt. And a lot of people don't realize that when you just go and buy table salt, from the grocery store and just grab, you know, the Morton salt. No, and I'm not knocking Morton's at all. Um, there's, I mean, salt is actually a really good ingredient that we all need in our bodies. And um, over salting things is not a good thing, but salt can change foods amazingly. I mean, just a pinch of salt in something that is sweet. That took me forever to recognize I always thought that sounded awful to have salt in my brownies or salt in something with chocolate. But it's amazing. Once I learned the science of what it does to your taste buds, it actually awakens your taste buds so that you can taste those flavors so much more. So I think a good sea salt. Um, and I like to get a kosher style. I don't like a really Thanks. fine grind, but I also don't like like a really hard rock because there's nothing worse than biting into a big chunk of, mm. of salt. So getting the right grind. So one thing I do sometimes, I like to experiment with my salts and sometimes I will, if I get one, it's hard to know exactly what the grind is until you buy it and open it up. So if it happens to be too big a grind, I will take my little spice grinder, which is just a coffee grinder, mm -hmm. very inexpensive on Amazon, and grind it down to the to the level that I like. And I always keep it in a little um, salt cellar because I use that a lot. So I think a good salt. And then, you know, of course, the pairing to that is pepper. And I think a good pepper mill, and I'm one that will go try all the pepper mills to get one that works and functions easily. And I have one, I forget who makes it. It is a, I can't remember, but I love it. And um, I like to use peppercorns, the whole peppercorns and, you know, find a grocery store that will sell them. We have central markets here, right. which are amazing. And you can actually go and buy your own individual. You know, they've got the big glass jars where you scoop out and buy your own. So whenever my pepper grinder is low, I just go and get a new, you know, I fill it back up with fresh peppercorns. So I think good cracked pepper is amazing. And then good salt. So number one and two is that 
always um, a red pepper flake. So I used to use, and I still do, I have a lot, probably four different red pepper flakes, but red pepper brings a zing to so many things. And sometimes having that little touch of heat, even in chocolate, um, but in soups or a pasta or a stir fry, just throwing in some pepper flakes can make all the difference in the world. Um, so I think a good one that I love is Aleppo pepper. So I would, yes. so it's a kind of a sweet, not too spicy, but it's got a little bite. Love that. Aleppo pepper is one that I love. Um, let me think what else do I use all the time? I like to use fresh herbs. So I always, but if it's winter time and I don't have my herbs, I either have to go buy them or buy dry. So I always have an array of, you know, the basics, basil, but I like to use fresh. So I have my little garden every spring. I plant my own herbs and I try to use those, but so green herbs is always nice to have. But one other one that I do love is nutmeg. Do you use whole nutmeg? I do. Um, mostly for sweet once in a while for savory, um, mm. but sparingly just because I don't know. I feel like I, I need to experiment more with that. Okay, you absolutely do. Because once I started using it, it's kind of got that. So I get the large actual whole berries mm -hmm. that are dried. And I again, I get them at a grocery store that will allow you to buy large or I bet you on Amazon, I've never looked for spices, but I buy the whole berries. And then um, I have a microplane. And if you put them in soups, like butternut squash season is coming up, mm, right? You do butternut squash and you get your little peppercorn and grind up your nutmeg. It doesn't scream at you, but it's got that flavor that people go, mm, what is this? Just a really interesting, and I don't like a lot of it, but it really gives you a very unique note um, on so many things. And I will use it in um, like vegetables um, like I will put just a little bit over a vegetable, um, as I'm stir frying it, um, all kinds of things. And, and so you think of nutmeg on desserts, but it is amazing in your soups. Um, and it just yeah. adds a real, really wonderful dimension of flavor. I need to try that because the only thing I really use it for in savory cooking is a bechamel sauce. Mm, then, okay. That too. Yeah. But other than that, I, you know, it's like, all right, I'm done. Nutmeg, you go right. back away. I'll see you in a right. year. <laughs> so you're saying that I make a really wonderful that I love um, butternut squash. And here, here we come with the season mm -hmm. lasagna and I put spinach and so I just make my own sauce with roasted butternut and puree it. And that becomes my sauce. But I do put in that sauce nutmeg. Um, and it just is kind of this fall, interesting note of flavor. And then you put fresh spinach in it and, and roast it in the oven. So it's kind of with the bechamel because you put ricotta and all of that with it. It's got that same idea with the cheese, but um, it's a really good one. I, I love that. So I would say those are probably my top. Good choices. Okay. Wow. Time is flying. Okay. I better let you go. But before I do, I just have some quick closing questions. Um, what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency meal? Okay. Um, hmm. Okay. This is a little embarrassing, but quesadillas probably. Yeah. I always have tortillas, <laughs> um, and a good cheese. And then I will put like vegetables on it 
put it on a griddle. That's so satisfying to me. Or mushrooms on it, and, or even just shredded chicken with melty cheese. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh, yum. I haven't had a good quesadilla in a while, so thank you for reminding me. <laughs> What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Um, so many. That is a really hard one. I don't know that there's one. I have a handful and, you know, maybe like the enchilada recipe I grew up doing. I love that. It reminds me of home. It's very simple, but it's so yummy and my kids love it. And like I mentioned at the very beginning, probably that that one recipe I made, it's chicken Jerusalem, little things like that. Every Thanksgiving, I make a squash casserole that my kids love. And we never have a Thanksgiving without that. And it's just basic, but yummy. So I have a handful that, that aren't necessarily fancy, but certainly mean something to us. Yeah. Well, I feel like the home, the homey dishes are always the favorite much more. We don't need fancy, you know, and mm -hmm. we want a comfort food. Mm -hmm. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Well, if you knew me really well, you would know the answer because I'm, I'm a very neat person. I'm kind of neurotically neat. So I'm a neat cook. Um, and I've just, I'm a big believer in cleaning as you go because there's nothing worse than cooking all day and then having this enormous mess to clean up. And I'm so lucky because I have a husband that will clean um, after me. So I try to clean as I go. So it's not such a mess, but he helps me by cleaning because I don't like the cleaning part. So I'm a pretty neat cook. Oh, how lucky that you have an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. What's a good kitchen tip? A good kitchen, you mean for cooking? Cooking or 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 just in the kitchen in general? Okay, I'm going to give you a, just an organizing tip since I'm kind of an organizer. Keep a good pantry. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned with that freezer, um, have good ingredients in there. So with a pantry, I actually have glass jars and they're labeled with all my stuff there. And it's handy and visible and organized. Makes you want to cook and makes it so much faster to not have to look for things and put them back exactly where they go. So when you open that pantry, everything is orderly and you know, you know, you need five ingredients for something, you know exactly where to go. And I think it makes your cooking, makes it more enjoyable. It makes it faster. Um, and I just think it makes it nice. And it's nice to have those ingredients on hand. So if you know you're running low on sugar, um, make sure you refill that jar. So when it's time to make the, whatever it is you're making, you don't have to stop and run to the grocery store. So it's nice to have a full pantry. Yeah. Good tip. And every week I try to share five little things. Um, maybe something that made me smile that week. Is there something that made you smile this week? Oh, what made me smile? Um, I'd have to really think, but yes, I mean, just being, um, I had a birthday recently, so I've been with a lot of friends. Thank you. So we had lunch today and, um, you know, just being with people that I love and, um, friends and, and being surrounded by support systems is always great. Such an important, important part of life. Margie, I really enjoyed talking to you. Where can everyone find you? Well, glorykitchen.com. That is our business and that's our spice business. Um, so it's glorykitchen.com and you can order that. You can email me there and my um, email 
contact information is all there. Yeah. And once you have your spices, you have a ton of recipes on there as well. I do. I do. I do. I've got some of my favorites like that squash casserole that I mentioned. It's on the website. Oh, I'm going to have to add that to my list. Thank you, Margie. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. I've really enjoyed being with you, Laren. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Margie Bruner for joining us today. Chatting with her helps me appreciate how spices are so critical to brightening up a dish. I hope you check out Glory Kitchen. And if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.